How do we revolutionize cancer care? What innovations can solve global food scarcity? Can the next big leap in drug development come from a place you might not expect? These are the questions that drive us on New Wave, a podcast where curiosity meets life-changing science. In Nova Scotia, a new wave of pioneers are answering these questions, from reimagining how we treat the most daunting diseases to tackling the challenges of feeding a growing planet. Their stories are as inspiring as they are impactful. I'm Taylor McGilvery. Join me as we dive into these extraordinary narratives. We're not just talking about scientific breakthroughs. We're exploring how these advancements touch lives, reshape communities, and pave the way for a brighter future. Subscribe to New Wave on your favorite platform. Be part of a journey that takes you to the heart of innovation and shows how, in Nova Scotia, we're not just asking questions, we're finding answers. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Quality sleep is essential for boosting energy, recovery, and well-being. So take your sleep to the next level with Sleep Number. With a Sleep Number smart bed, you can individualize your comfort level and enjoy a better sleep night after night. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now the Queen Sleep Number C4 smart bed is only $1,599, a saving of $300, only for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Normally, being a little extra might be a bit much, but not when it comes to healthcare. That's why United Healthcare's Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, supplement your primary plan so you manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Sex. Let's do it. Um, sweet. This week's episode is going to be really fun. Um, we're, we talked to a professional, a sex professional. Yeah, an evolutionary psychologist. It's always fun. Always fun to have those those little treats of episodes where you talk to someone who like really, really knows what they're talking about. Mm-hmm. You know. Yeah, it's um, <clears throat> extremely intimidating. Um, for this this foreplay, I'm uh, I'm just going to apologize if I sound. Real nasally and heady and throaty. Those all make sense, right? Yeah. I'm sick. I'm sick. I see. I feel like I'm getting sick like all the time when we record these foreplays. And this if like, I sound cranky, it's because I am. Are you on your period? No, but thanks for asking. <laughs> That's a lot of people are not going to like that. 
No, I but I you am know in my, I'm kidding. Though. I'm in my premenstrual phase, so right. I'm premenstrual right you now. You know I'm joking. Right, my Friday? period calendar says I have seven days to go, so that's pr- it. Probably has something to do with that. Oh man! I don't care if anybody else didn't find that funny. I know that you did a little because you laughed. <laughs> people can't see that. Oh, they 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 can hear it. Oh um, man! Want to hear something funny though? This is fucking weird. It has nothing to do with your period. I promise. Um, the other day, uh, so we we had the we had the the screening of the Sick Boy documentary the mm-hmm. other day, and it was here in Halifax, and it went really really well. People loved it. Before the screening, I go into the bathroom because I have to pee. You know, I want to get all that pee out. I don't want to have to get up and go pee in the middle of the movie. So I go to pee. You peed blood clots? No, I didn't. I didn't. Did you pee out a baby? No. Um, But I go to pee in the urinal. And as I'm doing it, it's a very busy bathroom. (coughs) Oh, God, sorry. And this gentleman comes up beside me and he starts relieving himself next to me and you know i'm looking at the board in front of me and he's looking at the board in front of him and i never have the like urge to be like hey what's the guy next to me packing i've never been that guy to like take a peek um but we both kind of finish peeing at the same time and i noticed something that i've never seen someone do before and it made me think about like all of the things that I do differently from everybody else when it comes to like my junk and mm-hmm. my and my butthole. Yeah. But this guy, the way he finished relieving himself, he stuck his finger up his butthole. No. <laughs> yeah. So like, <laughs> just to press down on the on the bladder and squish the rest of it out. <laughs> well, okay. So, so I don't know about uh, you, you and your kind, Bridie, mm-hmm. with a vagina, but when. When generally when a, when a man, when I've been finished peeing my whole life and, and most men that I know, there's like a little sort of, um, uh, what would you call it? Like a, I've heard about a this. ceremony that you, you perform to like make sure all the pee is out. So most guys will like pull their foreskin back and forth two or three times just to get all the drips off. Um, I, I have this thing where I kind of do that. Or like I'll shake a little or, but to make sure all the pieces. Tap it on the side of the urinal. (laughs) (laughs) Dunk, dunk, dunk. (laughs) Uh, All clear. (laughs) So what I I do is I I take my, I take my thumb and I, I run it along the underside of my gooch Mm -hmm. and it like kind of just pushes the pee out. Well, this guy, (laughs) I don't know what he did to do that, but like instead of doing the shake or the pull back and forth, he took his fingers and he literally flicked his head like three aggressive times, like like that. And That's... I was, I almost went, ah, out of like <laughs> phantom pain beside this gentleman. I How couldn't... did you see that if you weren't looking at it? Well, my peripheral vision, uh, see, I have... It's extensive? I have very perfect vision. <laughs> and my peripheral vision is, is uh, just, you know, beyond most humans Mm -hmm. so i I was able to catch exactly what this guy did but like is that have you ever heard of someone doing that um literally striking the head of his dick like that would hurt would that not hurt i don't know maybe he doesn't have any feeling down there man that would hurt me i uh yeah i'm trying to think of what my um my technique is because for sure i feel like if i tilt my pelvis a certain way there's like (laughs) still some 
pee that hasn't come out of the funnel yet. Oh, so you do I a just, pelvic tilt. Uh, yeah. Interesting. Yeah, a little bit. Or just kind of like start to start to like put my weight into my feet a yeah. little more see i do like that thing with my thumb running up the gooch mm-hmm. it's similar to me sort of doing a kegel and that that forces the last bits of pee out god i wonder how many people are listening to this going what what does this have to do with what? anything well i learned something there because um i've heard of the i've heard of um the problem of not getting it all out and then having like pee on your leg later oh yeah yeah that's the worst yeah you don't want that yeah yeah that just sounds awful maybe i'll start flicking the flick in the head we see should what try it yeah flick it on the urinal <clears throat> marianne fisher's gonna listen to this and be like why are they talking to that about that <laughs> she probably knows or... because she's an evolutionary psychologist <laughs> yeah she knows why the guy who flicks his head <laughs> is gonna go further in life than me who runs his thumb along the gooch um but she did talk about some really cool things about uh, how we compete against each other for mates. Mm. Um, maybe that's some kind of mating. Uh, yeah, yeah, some like some call primal, of the wild, primal ri- mating ritual thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, it, yeah. Either that, flicking the head, running the finger on the gooch, or slamming the head on the um, the ceramic. Yeah, or what about just. Just blow, like, just, just like, blow down. Practicing, it. it'd be good for you. Anyone with a lung problem. Yeah. All right. All right. Okay. That's just fucking stupid. Let's move it along. Um, uh, we have a, we have a, a bit of a, a brain boner. Uh, a brain boner. It's a little more serious this this week. Mm-hmm. Um, and man, boy, is it a a doozy, a tough one. Yeah. Uh, do you want to hit that one, Brad? Yeah, I sure will. Um, this is from Ginny in Ohio. Uh, I think that's what OH stands for. Yes. <laughs> you you got me. Okay, great. OH, Ohio. Yeah, sure. All I right. think so. Oh, she's from O. <laughs> <laughs> um, hey, Bridie and Jeremy. I have my own little brain boner for you. Unfortunately, it's more serious than sexy, but I really enjoyed the way in which you have approached some of the more serious topics on your show, and I think this would be a great topic to talk about on the podcast. Recently in the United States where I live, an issue has come to light people, usually men, removing their condoms halfway through sex, most often without their partner's permission. Uh This is called stealthing. And a woman wrote a paper regarding the topic in the Columbia Journal of Gender and Law. She describes this phenomenon as rape-adjacent, arguing that the act is a form of gender-based violence which finds its origins (laughs) in misogyny and toxic masculinity. It is an act performed without consent with a very real consequences of pregnancy and STIs. Such an act also makes its victims feel violated and powerless. She also highlights that there's a whole online community of men who consciously do this, thinking that they have the right to spread their seed. I've included a link to this paper below. I read it. It's pretty upsetting. I bring this up because I myself have had this experience. I just started, I had just started seeing a man who to whom I was super attracted and who I liked a lot. This happened around the second time we had sex. Both of us were very in the moment and he put a condom on as I was not on any form of birth control. I'd told him as much and thought I'd made it clear we needed to use condoms. We started having sex and it was fantastic, but his penis went soft a couple of minutes in. I told him that it didn't matter and that we could continue foreplay until he was ready. He said to hold on, he just needed to pee, so he ran to the bathroom. When he came back, we picked up where we left off. It wasn't too long before he came. He suddenly had this panicked look on his face 
and I asked why. I assumed he put a condom back on before resuming sex, but he told me that he hadn't and had finished inside me. I can't emphasize how violated I felt that he had betrayed my trust, knowing I was not on birth control. There was a whole slew of emotions I was feeling, all horrible. His response was to apologize profusely, run to the store for plan B, and make me breakfast, which was fine, but it shouldn't have happened in the first place. Almost worse than the actual act was the way he behaved the rest of the day, as if he was the one hurt by what had happened, and he needed my constant comfort and validation that I wasn't mad. I was livid, but I felt like I had to pretend it wasn't a big deal, that it was all okay. I don't know why he removed the condom. When I asked, he just answered that he didn't know. My assumption is that he was embarrassed in some way that he kept losing his erection, something that is totally normal and that I did not care about in any way. I know that what I experienced was wrong, but I never categorized it as sexual assault until my best friend showed me this paper on stealthing. After I read that, I struggled with my feelings about the experience all over again. It's really hard to wrap my head around the fact that I was sexually assaulted by a man that I liked, trusted, and respected at the time, especially since I fell in love with him and he became my boyfriend a couple of months later. I think this is one of the biggest discussions to have about sexual assault, that it isn't usually committed by a stranger in a dark alley, but by people that we know, trust, and maybe even love. I think people need to be better educated about what is right and what isn't so they are able to recognize sexual assault and rape rather than just thinking of it as bad sex. Anyway, I bring this up in the hopes that you may touch on this topic on your podcast, which is fabulous. I could also use some advice on how to broach talking about this experience, which happened nine months ago, with my partner, the same one who stealthed. I feel that it's really important to bring this up, identify it for what it is, and talk about the way it made me feel. (coughs) It's just been a long time since it happened, and I know he's going to react by being guilty and hurt. I don't want that. I just want a recognition that the experience we had together was wrong. I'd appreciate any advice you have for me. Thank you so much for your time and for the fantastic podcast. Jenny. Man. Well, I, I just want to say straight, like, first off, right off the bat, um, th- like, f- that is fully sexual assault. Um, rape adjacent sexual assault, however you want to put it, like that is assault. Sexual assault is is doing something without consent, mm-hmm. without another person's consent, and that is exactly that. Um, I did a little bit of reading before we kind of dived into this, and um, Canada and Switzerland have both um, brought people to court and and have uh, what would you call that when they have a brain fart here when they like sentence someone there we go mm-hmm. that's it have sentenced people for uh doing this this act of stealthing um yet it is it is not something that has been brought to court and sentenced in the u.s so far um but yeah that's that's sexual assault and if you're if you're one of those guys if you're if i fucking hope no one listens to this podcast or if you are someone who listens to this podcast and you're one of those people who are online saying that you have the right to spread your seed and that this is like a cool thing to do. Uh, you're a fucking piece of shit. Period. Not okay. Not cool. Yeah. The, I think the paper that I read, um, was really about like how we're going to 
treat this. There, it's just only really been recently given a term, stealthing, and the lines between consent. Um, they're really discussed at length in this paper, which maybe we can share on our Facebook page. But um, yeah, I think it is. Um, unfortunately, it's it's not it's not a tricky one when when we talk about it. But in terms of like, I think writing legislation and stuff like that that takes a long time. It's like, how exactly do you, do you describe something in such a way? I think what they're saying in the paper is like. Uh, 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 you can draw the line because uh, penis is with, withdrawn, the condom's removed, and then reentry. So it's two separate acts. Mm. Um, yeah, and consent to sex with a condom is different than sex uh, consent, knowing like you're aware of the risks uh, if you consent to sex without a condom. So those are two different. The risks are very different. Um, and... When I did a quick reading on this and reading about what the uh, supporters of stealthing are, and some of them are women, um, is what? is that uh, wait what who's a who what women are supporting stealthing? Yeah, there's a there's what like argument is what, what's that argument that fuck, a man please. has a right to spread his seed? Oh, but, shut the fuck up. Um, that is there's a barebacking. Um, uh, barebacking brotherhood, oh, I think, is the ha- hashtag God. for it, and um, uh, and websites, I guess, that I haven't been able to find, but forums that I would guess uh, give tips to men on how to do it stealthily, and it's obviously also an issue in um, the same sex community. So the same argument yeah. is still made on those forums, according to this paper, even though pregnancy is impossible um yeah it's a it's pretty it seems pretty messed up and it and generally the reasons for doing it are um it feels better um there is the thrill of doing something that's degrading and that it just uh some men have a hard time keeping an erection with condom on Mm -hmm. well yeah and none of those things are are just cause to to assault someone. Yeah, especially when your solution is to apologize and rush out and buy Plan B. I don't know if anybody here hasn't taken Plan B. It fucks you up. It's not like, oh, the morning after bill, you just pop it in and it's Ooh. all good. It it really messes with your biology for a while. Well, in this case, okay, so speaking to... Coming to Ginny's mm-hmm. uh, situation... Um, Let's let's say let's assume let's just assume here that her partner is not one of those people who's like trolling Reddit and commenting on forums saying that this is super cool and super okay to yeah. like stealth. Yeah. Maybe let's assume that he doesn't even know that stealthing is a term. Right. Because I'll tell you right now, I didn't even know that that was a thing mm-hmm. until we read this email. Yeah. So let's assume that he's that kind of person, and he was very embarrassed that he couldn't get a heart his his dick heart. And so he decides, well, I know that in the past I've, I've been able to be hard and stay hard when I remove a condom. Look, I'll tell you right now, I've had that situation in my life where I've been wearing a condom and I go, this condom where I'm at right now is making it next to impossible for me to get erect. Mm-hmm. 
Okay, so let's assume he's in that situation. And he decides, without her consent, to take off his condom and have sex with her. That was wrong. Mm -hmm. Period. That was wrong. Now, Ginny's still with this guy nine months later. I'm hoping, I would hope that Ginny is a... um, is someone who is with someone who's really great and treats her awesome, treats her right. Let's assume that that's the case. They're together, they're together for nine months. Mm-hmm. Let's hope that their relationship is really solid and really wonderful. Ginny is wondering how to bring this up to her partner. Yeah. Uh, I think that, I think you just got to bring it up. But I, here's the thing that I want to say to Ginny, and I don't know how you feel about this, Bridie, but the the. The worry that you don't want him to feel guilty and feel bad about what he did, I think you got to let that go. Yeah, I think you just have to bring this up, and sure, bring it up in the in the lightest, most like open communication based way with like lots of understanding and 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 love behind it. But if he feels guilty and shitty about it, let him fucking be a baby and and feel as guilty as he needs to feel. Don't let that be the thing that makes you not want to bring it up. Like, I think you just got to, I think this is a fucking hard truth that he, a pill that he has to swallow mm-hmm. and you got to bring it up and be like, look, can we have some, can we agree that what happened was super fucked up and here's why? Mm-hmm. Because it's, it's akin to rape. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree with that. I, that was my first impulse uh based on what i read uh that you're about your concern about um him feeling guilty and hurt <laughs> considering the few rounds of emotions you went through on dealing with that immediately after and suppressing those feelings and then them coming up again when you found this paper um i think it's okay for him to feel bad about that and being in love with someone and loving someone doesn't mean that you can't be you have to you know tiptoe around their emotions and make sure that they never feel anything bad um and it'll be really important for both of you to be able to have a difficult conversation and then hopefully be able to put it behind you emotionally because otherwise those things they come back they surface again if you if you hold on to them if you don't talk them through if you don't work through them they surface again in in some other way something will trigger it and you'll feel um you know, you'll feel violated by something and it, 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 it'll come back with a force that is not healthy or, mm. uh, or appropriate for whatever the next context is. And if you're, if your fear is that he's going to make it about himself in that sort of guilty, like wallowing in his own filth kind of thing, um, then call him out on that and be like, this isn't, this fucking isn't about you. Mm-hmm. It's about you and that you were involved, but this is, this isn't like, I'm the one who was violated here. Yeah. So this is why I'm bringing this up. You know, don't don't let him make it about himself. Yeah, one of the things in the in the in the paper was like one of the um the testimonials from uh someone who had experienced this and she was just saying like the feeling that she had was um uh, I I was not important enough to be considered. Like this person just didn't care about the fact that I could get an SDR or I could get knocked up. It wasn't their problem. And that's the kind of, you know, that's the kind of uh, thing you want to nip in the bud early on in a relationship if you feel like that 
could be even just a recurrent behavior in a much more subtle way. And mm. so kind of addressing that thing off the top, I think, is um, good. Clear the air, mm -hmm. for sure. Maybe share some of this literature with him. Yeah, yeah. Because... Uh, maybe, don't, maybe don't share this podcast with him. <laughs> yeah. I was feeling a little, I was feeling a little, uh, a little heated. I was, I got, I was really angry. I think that's when I said I was cranky. It mm -hmm. was because I, I knew we were going to mm -hmm. talk about this. But uh, you know, I, I don't want, I, I, people fuck up, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. And he might have just, he, he might not have done that with the, he, he might have done that, that, to Jenny, without like really without considering the ramifications yeah. and really without like you know f you know when you get like fuck drunk and you just you're yeah. in a state like i'm you know if he wasn't doing it with malicious intent uh-huh not to excuse it but just no. you know i i would hate to like yeah we don't want to pin him as a bad guy no and i, I would hate for you to like break you know for you yeah. guys to lose a relationship that mm -hmm. means a lot to the two of you over something like this so um be you know be compassionate, be loving, but also be firm and be, and, and, and misogyny and toxic masculinity are big terms floating around in my world lately. Like just hearing people talk about that more and more. And, um, this is like an opportunity for if, if there is any of that going on, then <laughs> for someone, for this guy, your boyfriend to like rise above that and be mm. like, it has, it gives them the opportunity to be like, you're right. I was wrong. Yeah. And that is healthy. Mm -hmm. Well, okay. Do you want to? <laughs> oh, man, that was fucking heavy. Let's get into our conversation with uh, Dr. Fisher because it's, it's one of those, like uh, it's, it's fascinating and it's, it's very light, but also kind of dark as well. I know. And you're going to start to see these things that she talks mm -hmm. about everywhere. Yeah. And I feel like I would, I'm dying to know what her thoughts are on stealthing. Yeah. And what, you know, what that means for, you know, like, why the fuck, why people would do that. But anyway, um, we hope you enjoy this week's episode. Uh, Dr. Fisher is a really, really special guest. I f hope we can have her on again someday. Yeah, that'd be great. And uh, let us know your thoughts. Uh, you can hit us up on social media and you can email us. Uh, if you ever have a brain boner or you have thoughts on any episode, info at... Oh, wait, no, that's not... We don't... That's Sick Boy. <laughs> you can send it to info at sickboypodcast.com and then I'll... Same head it, office. I'll send it over to Bridie. <laughs> All right. Uh, turn me on podcast at gmail.com. There we go. You got it. Uh, cool. Hope you enjoy it. And we'll see you on the other side. Bye-bye. Um, Marianne Fisher, correct? Um... Are you a doctor? Dr. Fisher? I am a Dr. Fisher. Holy shit, we got a doctor in the studio. <laughs> See, what I love about this is, is that, is that I, and I was kind of uh, talking to you about this earlier before we started recording, but, you know, um, the most of the people we talk to on the podcast are just everyday people mm -hmm. kind of going through their lives. Some of them like to be peed on. Some of them like to, you know, be fisted. And we just talk to them about that experience or whatever. Um and and every once in a while, and with Sick Boy too, every once in a while we get to sit down with someone 
who maybe they like to be peed on. I don't know. Maybe <laughs> they like to be there. fisted. But, <laughs> but not only that, they can really, they really, really know what they're talking about. An expert in their field. And because I am a self-proclaimed idiot, I feel like uh, these are one of my favorite conversations to have because I they're, they're always learning experiences no matter who you're talking to. But um, there's something... There's something just a little more rich when when we get to talk to someone, particularly when we when we just got some fan mail that was like, "Can you please start fact checking your?" <laughs> that was really funny. Yeah. <laughs> we can go into that um, later. And uh, we got your contact information from a listener who is a student of yours. I can't remember their name off the top of my head, and I don't know if they'd want that disclosed anyway. That's all right. But they were really uh, persist- persistent or insistent that we have you come in here and uh, Well, I'm chat. happy to be here. So, Marianne, what is it, what what brings you in here? What is it that you... Um, what are you that a you, doctor of? Yeah. Ah, what am I a doctor of? Well, um, so my PhD is experimental psychology. And uh, what I'm specifically known for is evolutionary psychology. So that would be blending, say, not just biology and psychology, but really looking at natural and sexual selection in relation to humans. Ooh. So I'll give you an example, okay? Because like I might have gone like way yeah. over already. I am so excited. <laughs> <laughs> but... Uh, so I look at humans as essentially any other animal or living organism. And I look at the brain, for example, as just another organ of the body. So when I talk about, say, feelings or um, why you like to eat certain foods, maybe, or uh, your reactions to jealousy or how you compete for mates, um, I look at that as a, a set of adaptations, biological adaptations that have occurred over somewhere between 2 million years and 10,000 years ago. And I take into account the environment. So I take into account things like what sort of family did you have and all that great stuff. And then I take into account what the physical environment might have been like that led you to have that biology as well. Mm. So it's it's really multifaceted. It's it's crazy rich. Um, but that's that's really my background. And then my specialty, which is probably why I'm sitting on your couch, um, is I study primarily how women compete for mates. And I look at mostly heterosexual women right now, and I look at all the nasty things they might do uh, to get sort of one up on each other. So you said heterosexual, and so because that was one of my mm-hmm. uh, things when I, I wanted to ask you about when you said, um, when I read that in your bio, was like, does this include studies on like, trans women right. as well as you know I wish it did okay I really really wish it did um, we've done a few studies and we've had problems with publications so far the, the science community is just not quite there yet um, so we've done studies looking at um, self-reported uh, non-heterosexual women so that that's really a wide umbrella yeah. obviously mm. um, and we've looked also at uh, straight women, self-reported straight women who engage in non-heterosexual behaviors as well. So that's also a, a huge community. Is that like so. experimental stuff? Is that what yeah. they mean by that? Well, we actually call it sexual fluidity, but not in the Lisa yeah. Diamond sense. Um, so we consider it, we don't consider the spectrum to be sort of, um, you know, straight and gay at either end and then, you know, bi somewhere in the middle. That's That's really... It's too binary for us. Mm-hmm. And um, and so some of the work that I've done with one of my PhD students, uh, we were looking at the mostly or primarily heterosexual, but who actually engage in really intense uh, lesbian relationships. Okay. Um, so it's not really experimental. It's a bit deeper than that. Okay. But 
yeah, but that would fall into it. But uh, yeah, we've had we've had all sorts of obstacles, and one of the other issues is sample size. So when we do studies um, in psychology, we often need like I don't know, say two hundred people, right? Um, and when we're doing when we're doing quick and easy studies around Halifax, it's really hard to find two hundred women who wouldn't classify themselves as primarily heterosexual who are available to do these studies. Mm. So, it's, it's just an easier sample to take from. It is. Right. Especially when you're trying to control for other demographic variables. So, mm-hmm. um, but yeah, it's, it's, so it's coming. For the road. sake of what we're talking about today, mm-hmm. I, I guess it's safe to say that mostly what we're talking about is what you've learned through the study of heterosexual Absolutely. females. Yeah. Okay. Um, what, this might be too broad of a question, and just like the nerd mind of me is kind of is really <laughs> curious to know, but like what might be some of the things that... Oh, man. And here, <laughs> and here comes my dumbness as well. I don't know how to even word this question because I'm, I'm not nearly as smart as anybody else in this room but text me and uh, i'll help you (laughs) what what is what is some of the like behavioral um some of the behaviors i guess sexually that that have been uh oh man how do i even word this okay over time yeah go ahead it's not that broad i think what you're gonna ask is you're actually specific to Mm -hmm. what your studies is i think your question is like what are behaviors that females engage in that are mating or well yeah or even just like even just even more general Mm -hmm. than that just like uh, sexual behaviors that have have been looked at and attributed to um our 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 evolutionary progress that people might not even realize like consistently over time yeah yeah like things that you know as a as a fact as someone who who studies evolutionary behavior i think i think i get what you're saying so if your answer is not what i'm looking for (laughs) i'll I'll definitely tell you that's a good thing that's a good thing um okay so one of the main i guess uh key points of evolutionary psychology is that women and men really differ in how many children they can produce right okay so let's just go back to that for a second and what that means in the long run is that, you know, women are investing a lot in their children. They also invest a lot even at a biological level. So their eggs are a lot larger than men's sperm and all that kind of stuff. And then they get pregnant, lactate, take care of young babies and so on and so on. So because of women's much larger investment, the theory is that they have to be really picky about the men that they're going to date or have sex with, right? Mm-hmm. So. Men, on the other hand, don't have that same sort of, we call it a burden, like without value judgment attached to it, but it's an it's an energetic burden, okay? So because men don't have that issue, their issue is about sexual access. So when we talk about it, we used to talk about it as a quantity versus quality issue. So mm. women can can easily find a guy to hook up with, but they can't necessarily find a quality guy to hook up with, right? Mm. So... Uh, and, and the reverse of that is that men try to have access. So they're looking for, sometimes they're looking for quality, especially long-term stuff. But if they just want to hook up, they're not necessarily too picky. And a lot of social psychology literature shows that that's the case. So going forward to what you were saying then, um, say we're going downtown and we're looking around the club, what sort of things might we see, right? Like, let's just start with that part. Mm-hmm. So we would see um, women often engaging in behaviors with each other, first of all. So they might be um, trying to to figure out who the other woman's interested in so they can 
you know, not play, make a play for that guy, unless he's really desirable, in which case she might tell tell her friend, who's also interested in the guy, hey, no, 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 you don't want him. He's got an STI. I just heard it on the street. He's a total player. Like, don't touch him. When she goes to the bathroom, she goes up to the guy and makes a play for him. Okay, right. So that sort of stuff. Men, on the other hand, might do things like they might advertise their resources because women are attracted to money for various reasons. So they might wear a fake Rolex when they go out. We've seen that in our data. Um, they might say all sorts of things. I use that things. one all the time. <laughs> <laughs> Guys, it works like a charm. <laughs> um, but it's it's really, and then it's all, it also comes down to things like how long does it take before, you know, sexual access is granted, which, you know, huge, huge differences. You're, you're just uh, laughing. <laughs> I'm just, no, you know what? You know what? I'm laughing because you said that. And it actually it reminded me of this time. Oh my God, I can't believe I'm about to say this. <laughs> this time that I went out to the Pacifico here in Halifax, it's, a, it's a, like a nightclub, don't worry about that. Um, and uh, I was with someone who was rooting through the, so we went, we were up the ATM, we had to get some money to go to the bar and buy some drinks. Mm-hmm. I'm like 19 at this time. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, I'm with a, a gentleman who is a little bit older than me. And he's rooting through the all of the slips, the the receipts that are given back from the ATM that are left on the top of the ATM. You know, it's like yeah. here's what here's what, how much money you have left in your account, yeah. and people just look at it and they go, "Well, I don't fucking need this receipt," and they just put it on the top of the machine. Yeah. Well, he's rooting through them all, and I'm going, "What are you doing?" And he's going, "I'm trying to find the one that has the highest balance." Oh my god. The highest balance within the account, so that when I give a girl her, my number, I'm going to write it on the back of this oh. thing, and when they flip it over, they're going to go, "Holy shit, this guy's got." <laughs> X amount of money in his That's account. Brilliant. And I remember being at 19, I was going, God damn. That was a fucking brilliant that idea. Is. That's some game right there. Oh my God. So, yeah, you're right. Like, I might use that in my research. You, you know, should. I, I might, you know, I'll give you credit for it. Yeah. Fuck a Rolex. Just get the, get the, show, show the money That's right easy. where it is. Yeah, I like that. I it's like sneaky. That. It's a sneaky little wow. move, you know? Um, oh, wow. I can't believe that. You just like uprooted that silly memory. Um, uh, so in terms of, okay, and this might be completely off topic, um, and if it is, mm-hmm. you know, d- don't let me derail it, but, um, I, I, I once heard that there were, and is this, is, does this kind of dive into some of the stuff that you have researched or is this a little in a bit of a different department, but, mm-hmm. um, um, this notion or this concept that, uh, how, Anorexia mm-hmm. has played has has been is basically like an e- a, an evolutionary uh, behavioral thing mm-hmm. that came into play based on um, particularly women trying to avoid like finding a partner or some or something like that. It's, I, I don't, haven't heard that explanation. Um, so a really good friend of mine, uh, Catherine Salmon, has published a bunch of papers with some of their colleagues. And she's looked at anorexia as a losing strategy or as a way that uh, women might compete with each other to uh, sort of win the best guy out there. But what happens is that, so women are pressuring each other, right, mm-hmm. to look different, to look better and all this other stuff. Um, but what happens is that when you get to a certain body fat point, not only are you anorexic, but um, you lose any fertility, right? So right. you've totally, as soon as your fertility is gone, from an evolutionary point of view, you've just lost the competition. Right. And so it's it's basically like a runaway phenomenon. So it's just gotten out of control to the uh, point okay, where that's okay. happened. 
So that's as much as I know about that argument. But there's mm-hmm. some fantastic work coming out of out of her stuff right now. I just I find the 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 whole like be evolutionary biology be, and and how it affects behavior. That's I just find that crazy. stuff so interesting and so yeah. crazy. And um, I, I know that in some ways it's very kind of. Um, it can be a bit of a touchy subject and mm-hmm. some people can't have a hard time wrapping their head around it. And oh, yeah. um, I'm sure you, you come up against that kind of stuff. I get especially. Hate yeah. Yeah. Of <laughs> what course. Do you mean to get and I'm, I'm sure there's going to be people who listen to this podcast today and go, this is fucking bullshit. What like, is controversial not. about evolutionary biology? So when it, when applied to humans, that seems to be the lightning rod, right? Okay. Because um, we're saying that humans have, first of all, an evolutionary past, which goes against some other accounts of right. the world, right? Um, and then we're also saying that um, humans haven't been able to free themselves of their biological past. So you're you're running into the philosophy of free will and all those sorts of things as well. Um, but what I find, and this is the thing I have going on at St. Mary's, is so I'm teaching this as a first-year course, which, as far as I know, happens nowhere else in the world. Everywhere else in the world, it's, a, it's an upper-year course, Okay. So I have brand new, like, 18-year-olds walking in the classroom to take this course they know nothing about. And I feel like they're walking with all these preconceptions about what evolution is and is not. So I start the course by saying what it's not, right? So I, I talk about all the criticisms, like how we talk about sexism and um, rape is an evolved mechanism and all these other things that they may have heard about in the media or, mm-hmm. you know, their friends and family might say as arguments. And I go through one by one about how these criticisms either aren't legit, it's just a misunderstanding of the field, um, or how they are actually important criticisms, especially because they bring up these holes in our theory or, um, or how they lead to misinterpretations by the general public. So I've yet to find at a personal level any reason to stop studying it. Mm-hmm. But there is a lot of hate mail. And then I, I take also... I'm a feminist evolutionary psychologist now, right? So I do a lot of stuff about trying to look at women as active agents in human evolutionary history. Mm-hmm. So I look at just all sorts of random different things at this point, but I'm beginning to get somewhere. But because I'm, I'm using feminist theory and attaching it to biology, I get a whole lot of hate mail from that <laughs> camp too. Yeah, so right. I've just annoyed a lot of people at this point, yeah. I feel like. But So where did like feminist theory begin? For me, as as coming in? Yeah, I guess mm-hmm. so. And like in human evolution. Gotcha. So the field, I, I have, this is a big question. So I'm just going to break it into a couple different parts. Okay, yeah. so interrupt as you want. But mm-hmm. So the field didn't really pick up into the 80s. There was, there was a famous book published by Wilson called Sociobiology in the 70s. Last chapter was about humans. And humans and social behavior is having an evolutionary past. So that was the beginning of the field. So that's not that long ago, right? And even though there was a women's movement that was active during that time, um, it it wasn't touching into that field at all. Like it was just, it was sort of isolated. Move into the 80s, you have a lot of men as key players. Um, you have women as graduate students, still not a lot of women's influence. So the field, I think, by necessity, really began to look at men as having this very active role. And Darwin's work is inherently quite sexist as, as well. Right. So... Along comes, you know, these new generations like Sarah Hurdy in the 80s, 90s, um, and saying, no, like women play a very active role in, in human evolution. You just haven't looked for it. Right. You know, like look at the way mothers interact with their children, you know, and, and look at the ways that women interact with each other. They don't have a status hierarchy. They don't, you know, engage in warfare in the same way, but they do a lot of other stuff. It's mm-hmm. really important. 
So there was always this sort of feminist element, but it just wasn't brought to light, I guess. And then um, the way I got into it was uh, I actually avoided the feminist word. Like I was I was being trained by someone who was a pure experimentalist saying, there's no bias in science, there's no bias in science. You have to be, you know, you have to be on the fringes of that idea. You can't, you can't dive into it. And I kept getting told by my field, I was a feminist. Well, you study women. I also studied men, but you study women, therefore you're a feminist. It's like, what? Say what? Like, how does that make me a feminist? Mm -hmm. You know, it's like saying because you study cats, you're an expert in felines all the time. Like it doesn't, you know. So anyway, it just got to be the point where it was ridiculous. And so I honestly feel like I threw my hands up in the air one day and went, fine, I'm a feminist. Deal with it. Get on with it. Yeah, right. (laughs) You know? And, uh, And so that that changed everything because all of a sudden well now you're a self-proclaimed feminist you have to stand up for the field so i've enjoyed it uh i've definitely had a lot of really different conversations that way but i can imagine yeah i would love to dive back into the uh intrasexual competition female intrasexual competition is that so, uh, so that that is basically the um, we were kind of talking about earlier the the things that females do to to root out and find the like perfect mate. Is that what? yeah? It's it's also just how they interact with each other to keep the mates they have, or what sort of things they might want to do to to gain access to the mate they want. Um, mm. So it's it's broad, um, but I can give you some examples if you want. Yeah, because it's great. okay. So when we think about competition. Um, for mating, okay, so I'm going to focus on mating because there's competition for all sorts of different things. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay, so mating competition. Um, there's really four strategies that both men and women do. So the first is self-promote, which is where you're going out to the nightclub, so you look as good as you can. Um, you try to act nice to everyone. You flash money around if you're a guy. Um, or a slip, a receipt. <laughs> or a slip. Don't forget, guys. <laughs> but you try to make yourself look as great as possible. But the thing is, you don't know who you're up against. Like mm-hmm. When you walk into that club... That's when you see all those rivals, right? Mm-hmm. So that's that's one thing with self-promotion. Um, and you might say, oh, well, I just want to look good because it makes me feel better. Well, that's nice. And that might be true. But it also does have this advantage of putting you on top of competition. Yeah. I wonder if it ma- I wonder if in making you feel better mm-hmm. is actually also just the 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 sort of um, natural like, advantage. you know, yeah, you know, yeah. you're putting yourself up and like you're, you're putting yourself you're trying to you ta- look good you feel good you yeah you're trying to take advantage and so it's just naturally inherently going to make you feel better you know it could be yeah and you might inflate your mate value right mm-hmm. so we talk about how everyone out there in the world is a magic number or two above their head right so what you were worth at that moment in that context as a mate like zero to ten um i i could consider it one to seven but yeah zero okay, to ten. Sure. <laughs> Is there a scientific reason behind the one to seven? It's it's because of the whole theory behind scale development. Anyway, it's it's just that's a whole other it's, it's nerdy head, concept. Right? <laughs> <laughs> Zero to ten would work too. Okay, um, but uh, and then I'm arguing now that there is actually more than one number because there's more than one context in which you might want yeah. to date someone. So yeah. that's where I'm going with my work. But okay. Um, but uh, but yeah, but if you feel good, you might think your number is a little bit higher. So you might make a play for someone who's a little bit higher than you normally would. Mm-hmm. Right? Uh, so that's how I see that kind of fitting in. But which could yeah. be to your advantage. Oh, big time! Right, like the 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 whole confidence thing is yeah. plays a big role. As someone who was once a teenage girl and <laughs> a girl in their twenties, uh, the value of like feeling good, like putting your time in and feeling good when you go out, is 
like I just think about how my insecurities as a woman in my 20s and like the effort that sometimes sometimes I'd be like I'm wearing sweatpants and a hoodie because I yeah. don't care and I'm going to be a that's 7 my when advantage. I do it yeah, right. yeah, exactly yeah, yeah. <laughs> such yeah, a mind game it, but it's also like in a way you're drawing attention to the fact that you're so confident yeah. right that that could be a big turn on too mm-hmm. right yeah. so yeah it, there's a lot of stuff to unfold there it's, oh, it's crazy man. Um, so yeah and that's the most effective strategy and that's the most well used strategy it's too. to look good yeah feel to good. feel good to advertise your personal right you know personality whatever um, and sometimes too, it's actually uh, trying to establish commonality. So you might say, "Hey, what are you into?" as a as a potential mate. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, I'm into that too. And even if it's a lie, yeah. because it's a way to make yourself look more intelligent. Or... Mm-hmm. So that's why I've used that one before for <laughs> sure. For sure, I've used the that. list of things that Jeremy yeah. is oh, not God. really into. I, I love this. I, I I can't wait to hear the one I haven't used so that I can be like, ah, add that to the docket. <laughs> What's next? I'm, I'm pretty sure you've used all of them. Um, <laughs> so uh, there's competitor derogation. I'm sorry. Wait, say like, what did you just call me? <laughs> so competitor, competitor derogation. Derogation. I read about this on the internet today. Okay. <laughs> so derogation is just trying to put someone down, right? So ah. in our in our context, it would be things like. Um, I'll give you a good a good example. I call this the jellyfish sting. So imagine you're sitting at a table with your potential rival and the and the guy you're interested in, right? And uh, and you say, "Hey, by the way, sir, you look amazing. No one would ever guess you have gonorrhea right now, right?" And it's like zing because it's a compliment, but mm. you know, it's a backhand. Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. So that's an indirect irrigation. But you might do things like spread rumors about each other. Mm-hmm. Um, you might actually bully her, or if it's a dude, you know, bully him. Um, you can use physical aggression, although women tend not to use that too much. So it's it's ways of making the rival seem inferior relative to you, mm-hmm. which means you have to know who they are. So it's different, like when you're going to the club, then you're looking around at who's competing for the same people you are, and you're targeting them for the competition. Which makes it so much more nasty. Oh, yeah. Because you got to know them. Oh, it's fantastic. Right? Yeah. Is that... Uh... Such just so Jerry Springer. I love it. <laughs> And a big thing that comes up a lot on our podcast, which I feel like falls under that, is like slut shaming. Oh, mm-hmm. absolutely. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. So, and it'll come up actually again, I think, because um, okay. there's two more strategies. So, one is mate manipulation. So, this is where you have the potential target in mind and you've identified who you're both interested in, so the rival's interested in also. And you start to go, okay, I might be just a little bit ahead in this competition, so I'm going to now take the take the target out of the way. So, for example, um, you might try to start mate guarding. So you're tying up the mate so he's got no free time to spend with anyone else. Or you're constantly texting him to make sure that he's always around, he's available, he's not with her. Um, it's it's vast, the stuff you do. The, and cl- the clingy technique, it, getting, yeah. getting clingy. But it's very effective. That's right. the funny thing, like... It's really, it also shows you care, mm-hmm. right? So it has that weird little, you know, positive part of it too. Mm-hmm. But uh, it's a way of, of, you can also lie to the mate. You can also say, oh yeah, you know, oh, she, she's really ugly. She's got terribly fat ankles, which is derogation, but it's also manipulating the mate into thinking something differently. Right. Right. And I've done a lot of research sort of on that part and the derogation part. Would mate manipulation also be like, 
yeah, I have this guy that's texting me all the time and I can't get him off my back. Anyway, you were saying like, yes, you know, absolutely. That kind of like I have lots of other v- options available to me. Exactly. And you're okay. lucky you have me. So you should want to really have me. Okay. Yeah. And then the last one is competitor manipula- manipulation. And this one I find the most interesting in some ways, but this is where you might say to the to your rival, um, oh, yeah, you don't want to be involved with him at all because he's got an STI. So you actually slam the mate to that get you... her to not be interested in him, and then you make the play. Um, or it might be telling her all sorts of things about herself that she could confirm. So, for example, you really have no friends. You know, everyone's just really using you because you're, you have some money, and uh, you have no way in heck of getting that guy. So they don't even try. Mm. So you make her feel really cruddy about herself so that you would win the competition. So there's some overlap in how they are. Yeah. Um, but it's just, and this all came up from a study where I had people come into the lab one at a time, gave him a sheet of paper and just said, how do you compete for dates? Mm. And it was just like, oh my God, some of the stories, I have to tell you one more. This is actually my favorite one. Yes. So um, so a lot of the time when women and men, but mostly women, when they talk about competing, they're competing with their friends, especially women in their 20s, yeah. university students. And you have to remember that we often choose friends who are about the same mate value as us, okay? And there's oh. all sorts of reasons for that. So if you look around at your friends, um, even if one's not as attractive as the next friend, they probably have some other redeeming quality that would pick huh. up their mate value. I see. So we tend to be about the same value as our friends. Is there something to be said about people who hang out with people that are much higher in the mate? Oh my gosh, lower? yes. Yes, okay. yes, yes. So, okay. Because I'm thinking about, I think about, like, I'm thinking about those two guys up there, Brian and Taylor, and I'm going, they're like super fucking handsome. And I, I, and I'm just sticking with them only because I know that it probably boosts my, my attractiveness just a little bit. right. Anyway, continue. Oh, yeah. Well, it it does make sense. So we actually call it the cheerleader halo effect in one case. So if you're, especially if you're a woman and you surround yourself with other really beautiful women, like a little bit higher than you, it actually boosts your, your perceived attractiveness. Whoa. Yeah. And, but then there's also the contrast effect, which is where if you're surrounded by quite unattractive people and you're attractive, it actually makes your attractiveness pop even more. Right. So yeah, there is, there's something there. We're doing a study with Tinder and we've looked at that, like who you post pictures with Uh and we haven't quite finished it. So that's, that was something that we're looking at in the background. Must be a brand new fascinating. Oh, we have such fun in the lab. Like we really do. It's it's (laughs) great stuff. It's great stuff. Um, Okay. So, but uh, we were coming back though. We were at, um, uh, you were saying I, I kind of derailed it, but oh, the, my favorite story. Yes, yes about yeah, the friends. Yeah. The friends. Oh my god, it's such a great story. But I find it great. So, um, I had a woman who was doing the survey, and these are university students. Okay, this is a while ago now, and she came back to me and she said, "Are you sure that no one's going to read these other than you?" <clears throat> and I said, "Absolutely. Like this is pure and purely anonymous because you don't put your information here. I won't be looking at your answers for a good month. Like you know, and also I'll be the only one reading them." And so she wrote out this really elaborate story about how her best friend and her were going clubbing. And um, first of all, her friend, when they were picking out their outfits, they went shopping together. And her friend picked out something that made her look fat, okay? Really unattractive. And she asked her friend, how do I look? And her friend, my participant, was like, you look amazing. fabulous. Yeah. It's so amazing. You should buy it. So first of all, she set up her friend to look terrible. And then they go out. Um, they're at the bar. And her friend's got toilet paper stuck to her shoe, Okay. You know, it's a bit of a faux pas, right? Yeah, yeah. So the friend goes to leave the bathroom, and my participant says nothing 
nothing. She, and this is her best friend. Sees it. Says you know? nothing. Says mm-hmm. nothing. And I was like, oh, my God. Like, this is this is really, yeah. That, that's when I got so sucked in by the topic. Yeah. I was like, if women are treating their friends like this, what are they doing to the women they don't like? You know? like. And so to come wow. back to the, you know, the way that men and women sort of, their worldview and how they're trying to find mates, um, <clears throat> women are looking for the 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 like the alpha male like the like or, mm-hmm. or not the alpha male but like the 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 sort of perfect mate mm-hmm. to for to them. reproduce for them yeah which it can be different from you know person to person absolutely whereas the the male typically is like I'm just looking to spread my seed mm-hmm. um is as long as the door is open yeah to some extent like to some extent there's some so there's some research that shows that um, when men are looking at someone for a long term marriage prospect. They do judge what she's wearing, for example. Mm. So whereas they would like the more revealing clothes and a short-term one-night thing, mm-hmm. um, they're not going to bring that woman home to mom if she's right. wearing that sort of stuff. And that, that's something that the literature really clearly shows is that when you when you go into a situation, you probably, most people probably don't go, okay, tonight I'm looking just for a hookup. And even if they're fantastic, I'm never going to be with them for more than a week. Mm-hmm. And most people don't make that decision, right? Mm-hmm. They think, oh, yeah, I'm just in the mood for some fun, right? But... They also, people don't discount that if they find the one that they're just going to ignore and keep on shopping. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So we use these different variables, I think, as a way of of sort of marking what sort of potential that relationship has, which is why when I hear what, like, you have all sorts of friends who met their significant other in a bar, and I'm like, interesting, what were they wearing? Like, that's what I want to know. Like, what were they doing? And it's usually, well, they were just dressed normally and they were just themselves. Like, Mm -hmm. you know, they made me laugh, especially for men, like making women laugh. Um, Or they bought me a drink or we just started talking and we couldn't stop talking. Like, Oh dear, <laughs> I've stumbled on something. I'm like, I'm pretty sure we're married because you made me laugh. <laughs> That's the go. only reason. Yeah. <laughs> um, so in the in the in the differences in in how men and women view the world, mm-hmm. is there is is what you're saying like this 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 intrasexual female intrasexual competition? Mm-hmm. Um, is it is it much more? intense for women than it is for men generally like in Ah. terms of how we compete okay so the sexes compete very differently in many ways Mm -hmm. um and one of the reasons i got into this is because all the literature addressed males competition so basically like men duking it out behind the bar in you know fighting with each other physically and the idea was that they're fighting over a woman and the woman would just take the winner passively just take the winner like two gorillas out in the wild one's like hey i i won now i get the harem and the and the competition literature the harem is harem women too or just men? It's, it's usually gorillas. <laughs> Female or male gorillas. <laughs> um, but uh, it was just, and the competition literature, the psychology competition literature was mostly about men or about some, you know, set, mixed sex stuff. But there was nothing really on women and what mm. women or girls were doing, right? So when you look at the aggression literature, because I know I'm, I'm doing all the dots now, right? But the aggression literature was mostly focused on this idea that women were indirect. So, you know, they spread rumors or they ostracized, so they kicked, you know, women over their social group or whatever, whereas men tend to be much more direct and uh, may or may not be as verbal as women. The literature is sort of split mm-hmm. on that one. And this happens all the way from childhood onward, right? Yeah. So when I was looking at all this and then looking at competition from, you know, for a mating point of view, it was there was so much written about men competing and women just sort of sucking up the loser to put it badly. But it was just, you know, 
that's not the way it works. Like women don't just stand by and go, oh, well, I guess that's who I'm going to be with now. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. like that's any Hollywood movie would show you that's not usually the way it works anyway. So that's that's where the field was at. Um, and the field's sort of there still, at least for men. So a lot of the male literature still talks about how, you know, men are, are competing using physical means or they flash their money or they bully each other or they intimidate each other. They use their physical size, stuff like that. Um, where it's getting interesting, and I might be going too far off now, where it's getting interesting, though, is you look at countries with a biased sex ratio. So you look at countries where the number of women versus the number of men is totally changed. So say China, right? Mm-hmm. And you're seeing now, you know, the implications of the one-child policy coming through. So you've got men in their 30s, a lot of men in their 30s, not having a chance to find a mate, right? Because there's so few women relative to the number of men. So all of a sudden, what men are doing to attract a mate is changing. So you oh. see a lot more salons Whoa. devoted to improving men's physical appearance, grooming men. Um, you see a lot more courses around training men about social skills. It's it's really Whoa. shifting. Wow. And that's what I find fascinating. And there's so little information on it. Um, Which totally links crazy. back to the idea that it's you know it's adaptation yeah, it's evolutionary it's, if, i mean if your if your environment is changing mm-hmm. then you in innately you're going to change the way that you come at it you're gonna Absolutely. like you're gonna you know change up your game plan yeah i fucking love science even <laughs> though i don't know it <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> i know i'm just like trying to picture like the examples of girls in the club not telling their best friends about toilet paper attached to their foot like 2,000 years ago like just trying to imagine what the scenarios are so one thing you have to keep in mind just if you're picturing that scenario right is that our social group would be small Mm. okay so a lot of the a lot of the literature the anthropology literature suggests that our social group may be 150 people right so you know when we gossiped about someone I love talking about gossip and we gossip about someone, it would actually be someone we knew, mm. right? And that by getting that information about them, we would actually go, oh, we shouldn't loan them resources or we shouldn't sleep with them, right? Whereas today we hear gossip and it's like, oh, that's cool. You know, yeah. So yeah, it's right. a, different, a different level. But um, yeah, no toilet paper, but maybe you wouldn't tell your best friend there that uh, she's got poop running down the back of her leg. Oh, uh, yeah. yeah right. There you go. Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know if I'd tell them just because I'd be embarrassed to bring it up. <laughs> Um, is there is there something to be said for um, females or males that are that are um, infertile mm, or mm-hmm. sterile? Like, and and does 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 the behavior change if they can't even make a baby? Yeah, we've we've done a little bit of research on that, um, and we did it from a jealousy point of view. So. Uh, it, it's not Whoa, exactly about super interesting. <laughs> that actually, that okay, I, I totally cut you off That's there. Okay, I'm so sorry, okay. but but uh, uh, continue because I think I just assumed where you were going with that. <laughs> Fuck, Jerry, write it down. <laughs> write it down. That's why I have a pencil and paper. Uh, we can go into that for a minute if you want. Yeah, yeah, okay, I'd love to. Right, I'd okay, love let's to. dive into that one for a second. Um, so one of the <laughs> like one of the hot spots within uh, evolutionary social psychology is about jealousy and infidelity, right? And the classic study is something along the lines of um, imagine you're in a committed relationship and uh, you find out that your partner has had sex once and only once um, with someone and there was no emotional involvement. How upset or distressed would you be versus um, you're in the same relationship and you find out your partner's had an emotional relationship but would not have sex? Like how upset would you be? So Mm -hmm. like an emotionally involved relationship. 
And you can vary this according to time scales and all sorts of things. And cross-culturally, using all sorts of different measures, about two-thirds of women say they'd be more upset about the emotional condition. Two-thirds of men say the sexual condition. So we took that. We've used it in different ways. But one of the things we did was looking look at whether or not the person's infertile as the third party and how jealousy and distress reacts with that. Because the idea is that if you're engaged in a, a sexual relationship with someone um, and they're fertile, then maybe you're getting upset because there could be a kid coming out of that relationship. Mm. Versus if they're infertile, that changes it. Or if you're infertile, it changes it, that sort of, that sort of thing. Yeah. And it's just, you know, it's it's crazy. Um, and so the infertility, no one infertil- infertil- <laughs> infertility um, causes huge effects. So mm-hmm. as soon as you find out that someone's infertile, um, the sexual being upset about the sexual relationship goes down and the emotional stuff picks up, mm. um, which is really interesting. So now, what were you, what are you, how do you feel about that, hearing that? Because I'm infertile. Okay. I'm, I'm sterile. Mm-hmm. And when we started opening things up in our marriage, do you think that that played a role in... I mean, huge question to ask you, Brady. <clears throat> but like, do you feel like the fact that I can't make a baby with anybody else changed the way that you felt about jealousy and the idea of me sleeping with somebody else? I mean, when it came to contraception, for sure, but mm. not jealousy. I know. I don't. Mm-hmm. I don't think I marked that. Right. I don't think that came into play. Man, that's so fascinating. Oh, it's did really it have an impact for you? Well, I'll tell you right now the thought of you sleeping with someone who's fertile and them giving you a baby, like impregnating you, that mm. tears giving me it apart. Me, like yeah, it's something yeah. I want? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Presenting you with a perfect baby. Um, that that guts me, right? Wow. Like I can't, but the idea of you sleeping with somebody? Wow. It's all good. All good. But the thought of you of you getting pregnant, I'm like, that's oh, Nelly, that's, <laughs> that's a, a bridge, yeah, and that's, that's yeah, one. yeah, exactly. Huh. Super interesting. Um, one thing that I would I would love to ask you about mm-hmm. all the work that you're doing. So, I know as a as a scientist, mm-hmm. you gather data, you mm-hmm. look at the data, and you say, "This is what I've learned, and this is this is how we see the world." And mm-hmm. here's here's my study, and uh, or here's my findings, and mm-hmm. try to challenge it. And if you can't, great, I win. Right, um, something like that. Yeah, something <laughs> like that. I, I don't know. Uh, but it, out of all the work that you are doing, mm-hmm. like the the work that you are essentially devoting your your life to, mm-hmm. from the findings that you've come across, what would you like to? What, what do you feel like would be the the end goal or the takeaway? from Mm. that discovery or those discoveries? Uh, That's a really big question. I think so. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Hey everyone, I've been on the go recently. Phoenix, Kansas City, Chicago. If you're like me and have a home but aren't always at home, you have an Airbnb. Hosting your home or a spare room is a very practical side hustle. If you live in a big game town, you can Airbnb your place for fans to stay in. Your home might be worth more than you think. 
Find out how much at airbnb.com slash post. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. I've been looking at women in competition now for 20 years this month. Okay, so that's, that's a sizable portion of my life, obviously. Um, and I've done a lot of studies on everything from pornography to the Muppets to uh, Harlequin romance novels. Like it's, it's been a very vast career in that time. And the one thing that I think would be a takeaway message from all of that is um, there's a strength to understanding the biological part. And I'm not, I'm not wording that well, but everything I know about science means that life is going to find a way to happen. And that might be, um, you know, a situation of coevolution where you have um, two parasites battling it out to take over an organism, or it might be um, two women battling it out for the best guy. Like people are smart. Like even, even someone that doesn't look all that intelligent, there can be a big old scheme behind what they're doing, right? And they may not be consciously aware of why they're doing it, but it's brilliant, you know, like it's, it's just one of those things that I find mind blowing all the time over and over again is how we do these things that we don't necessarily understand why we're doing them and they work, you know, like it's just, I'm, I'm absolutely mm. blown away by how life will find a way and how we are constantly as a species adapting to things. It's just incredible. It really is. Mm. As someone who <clears throat> studies that, mm-hmm. do you think that, how much of an effect do you think that that's had on the way that you go about oh, your day? It's yeah. huge. I have to admit, it's huge. So um, being someone that studies competition and aggression and I'd say some of the more nasty stuff that people do to each other, it's it's made, like when I walk into a room, I, I like to watch people. I always have. That's why I'm a psychologist, right? But when I walk into a room and I see people interacting, it gives me these, this insight that's different, I think. Um, but it also, I think when I see kindness, it highlights it so much more. Mm. It, genuine kindness, not kindness because it's expected, not kindness because it's a play, but genuine um, self-sacrificing kindness. Or, um, you know, when, you, when you're trying to help someone out uh, at a workplace, say, for no particular reason other than it just felt, feels good to you, you won't gain a reputation status out of it. You're not going to gain like a tit-for-tat, reciprocal altruism, we call it, but like a, a you know, a favor you can call in. When you're doing it just because it feels good and you want to, um, that's stuff I've noticed the most. So in my daily life, uh, when I see people letting others in on the road, this is a good example, driving here. When I see people letting other people in on the road, with the knowledge that they're probably never going to run into that person again, that it's going to slow them down a minute. Why do they do it? They do it because of kindness, mm-hmm. right? Maybe they think, well, down the road, karma is going to, you know, serve it back. Mm-hmm. But at that moment, they made the decision to be genuinely kind. So that's, I think that's where I see it in my daily life. I see the competition. I see the backbiting. I see the nastiness. I see the aggression. Um, and then I go to my lab 
and I was talking about this before the show, but I go to my lab, which is full of students who should be all competing with each other to get ahead because they're all trying to get into graduate school, get scholarships. And I watch them cooperate, Ooh. you know, and I watch them sharing the fame on a project that hits the media or um, really trying to help each other out with absolutely no expectation of payback. And it's, I think because I study all this negative stuff, when I see the good stuff, it's just like, wow. Like, mm. yeah. So that's what affects me. And yeah, it gives me some reassurance, I guess. That there's there's good. That's pretty, uh that's pretty wonderful, it's, you know, to, awesome. to be able to say that you, the, the, the thing that you've decided to do for your life brings you such a, such a profound sort of effect on how you see mm-hmm. the world. Oh, it does. I think that's pretty, pretty yeah. miraculous. I have no regrets. Yeah. Absolutely no regrets about what I do. It's, um, I had a friend, and this is going into the me search side of it now, as I like to call it. Um, I had a friend over. And, uh, and they're just talking to me about my career and, and they're saying, so, you know, I've been doing this for a long time now, like when you die or when you're on your deathbed, what are you going to think about it? And it's going to be like, I have absolutely no regrets. Mm-hmm. You know, like I have learned so much. I've changed the field a bit. I've altered the life of a few students. This is a good thing. You probably, I, w- you know? I would give you a slow clap yeah. for that. <laughs> yeah, I mean, absolutely. there is like not uh, from you know, I'm trying to find out little things about my biology and having a hard time on the internet mm-hmm. of all places finding anything consistent or reliable. Mm-hmm. So anytime I hear of anybody doing any kind of study particularly related to females, I'm like, yes, because there's not enough information there's really out not. there. No. Marianne, this was <clears throat> fantastic. Oh, I had fun. Um, <laughs> uh, I, I love this. Uh, is there anything that we didn't touch on that you were hoping we would we would dive into? Not off the top of my head. I, I think I don't want to yeah. open a can of worms. Yet. <laughs> Go for but it. But you Uh-oh. said you said something like very like you just kind of blew over it, yeah. and I I wrote it down. I didn't get the whole thing that you said, but okay. it was something about rape. Gotcha. Yep. And I'm just curious about that because obviously it's a huge and you work Major. in a university mm-hmm. and like. We do a lot of episodes talking about consent and mm-hmm. all of that kind of stuff, and I just I'm just curious about what uh, that what role that plays gotcha. in, uh, from an evolutionary standpoint. So, there was a book published um, on rape. Oh, I'm going to date myself here. It was it was quite a while ago. I'd say about 20 years ago. I can't remember the exact year, and it came out, um, and it was written by two men and. It gained a lot of notoriety right away because it basically said that rape is a a natural adaptation for some men to engage in, especially men who may not have a chance um, to find a quality mate or get access to mates. And um, and the feminist scholars, I'd say, had a very critical negative reaction to their argument, understandably, I feel. Um, And and I think, first of all, I think there's a lot of misunderstanding about what their arguments were. Um, and they, one of the things was that they weren't saying all men naturally rape, right? So we have this thing called the naturalistic fallacy, which we stole and mutated from philosophy. Uh, but it means that just because we study something doesn't mean that it ought to be. So just because something is doesn't mean it ought, right? Um, which is a huge thing in in evolutionary psychology. So going back to the issue of rape, then when this book came out, it caused the storm. And one of the best accounts I saw, um, in response to it was that in order to explain rape as an evolutionary adaptation, you also have to explain why some men do not rape. Mm. 
mm-hmm. and why indeed it's the majority of men, even with an opportunity to rape freely and all these other things, why they do not. And uh, and I thought, and it was Franz DeWald that said that, um, who's a fam- famous primatologist, and I thought, yeah, like he's nailed it. Like if you're going to make an argument that men have a propensity to do something, you also have to argue why they do not engage mm-hmm. in that. Um, and there was no answer to that? There's been no answer. Right. So that's that's as far as it's really gotten. Um, mm. And you could talk about how, you know, the, the social-emotional aspects of it too. And um, I've fallen, I have to admit, and this is probably going to get me so trouble with the evolutionary psychologist, I've fallen into the camp of if you can't explain why it doesn't happen more often, then you have to go back to the drawing board. Um, and I don't think their arguments, as they've published them, about being a natural adaptation are, are correct. Mm. Um, but I'm glad, the one thing I am happy for, and this is the stuff that gets me in trouble all the time, <laughs> is I'm happy they raised the issue, because at least it got a discussion going. And even though I think it caused a lot of negative reactions uh, in some of the readers of the book and, and some of the scholars, I'm happy that it got brought to light, you know, rather than it being something that, well, we can't talk about, mm-hmm. you know, and these trigger points and all this sort of stuff. So I like the fact that that's out there and that it's debatable, you know. And, uh, but yeah, as for my own reactions to it, not the highlight of evolutionary yeah. psychology, in my opinion, but mm-hmm. it's there. Yeah. yeah. Okay. On that <laughs> note, I would love to know who you would recommend reading like, uh. to anybody who's interested. Well, I have a new book that's going to come out soon. Oh. <laughs> oh, plug away. <laughs> well, actually, I don't know. I'm still waiting for the, the book contract. We'll see if it gets taken up. But I'm hoping to write, um, a re- it's, they're called Very Short Introductions. Okay. And it's Oxford University Press. So it'd be a 130-page book about the field. And uh, we'll see if I get the contract or not. But that would be my plan for the next few years to, to do that. But uh, I can tell you who inspired me. Uh, and that was really a combination of Anne Campbell, who just passed away, sadly. But she wrote a great book um, about women in competition and aggression. And it's called A Mind of Her Own. It's okay. fantastic. Um, and the other book I'd really recommend, well, anything by Sarah Hurdy, I think, is fabulously written. But the one that really helped me was The Woman That Never Evolved. And Hardy spelled H-R-D-Y, Sarah Blaffer Hardy. Um, those two are fantastic. David Buss has also written some very popularist accounts that are popular. Well, that's sort of redundant. I guess popular accounts that are noteworthy. Um, like Evolution of Desire is a classic. And that's one of the books I read when I moved into the field. Uh, and Helen Fisher, No Relation. She's famous. It's crazy. No relationship. I'm quite envious. Um, but she's written some great work as well in the past. So those are some maybe go-to points. But... Yeah. Thank yeah. you. You're very welcome. Yeah, thank you so much oh, I had for fun. coming in. And uh, thank you all so much for listening. Uh, we hope you enjoyed it. And we'll be back next week with another fantastic... Uh, sexy, tantalizing. Sexy, amazing. All, all, all those episodes. Uh, all the adjectives. And in the meantime, uh, it would mean the world to us if you had on, headed on over to um, <clears throat> iTunes or Apple Podcasts and left us a uh, review, a rating and a review. And subscribe for sure. Hit that subscribe button. Uh, it helps us stay on the iTunes charts, which is great for us and for you. Uh, and you can find us on social media. Uh, Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, all that crap. Um, and <laughs> check yeah. out our website, blog posts from past guests, and submission <clears throat> forms if you're interested in being a guest. A word if you have a question you would like us to take a stab at. Uh, I think that's it. Until next week, go fuck yourself. <laughs>
Botox Cosmetic, out of botulinum toxin A, FDA approved for over 20 years. So, talk to your specialist to see if Botox Cosmetic is right for you. For full prescribing information, including boxed warning, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. Remember to ask for Botox Cosmetic by name. To see for yourself and learn more, visit BotoxCosmetic.com. That's BotoxCosmetic.com.